If you want to uh, open up to the first passage of Scripture that I'm going to be reading and talking about, um, you can go ahead and do that. And that is, uh, as soon as this gets pulled up here, that's Matthew 11. Um, I'm going to read that quickly, so we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but it's Matthew 11, verse 17, if you want to go ahead and open there. Um, Just as the way of a silly statement to kind of open this up in that song, I think there's a beautiful sentiment represented in that. Um, And I think maybe with some of the, I don't know, climate of our nation, it's good to remember that song because we can get caught up in that sometimes in the politics and the things going on. But if we can really find peace in Jesus, we can be anchored there, then it really at any point we can say it's well with my soul. So I was just thinking about that during the song. Also thought, you know, the trump has to resound before the scroll will be rolled back. So maybe that's just part of it, right? Uh, sorry for the bad pun. But um but anyway, what I wanted to talk about this morning is a little bit on how to kind of think about and to deal with the differences between us and God. Um, and the way that I want to talk about that and a word that I'm going to use a lot in trying to, to illustrate what I mean by this is I'm going to talk about the gap. Um, and I want to talk about some of the gaps that we experience when we're trying to relate to God. Um, So that's what I'm going to be trying to talk about. And I want to really spend this lesson not only acknowledging and like elaborating on what those gaps are, but also like how to bridge them. Because I think all of us in this room are interested in having a relationship with God. We're interested in believing in him. We're interested in trusting him. Um, And so we have to deal with kind of some of those gaps we feel. Um, and I want to talk about what those are in a moment. Um, so that's, that's really where this lesson is coming from. I actually started this lesson. I looked uh, on your computer. You can see when a document was created. Created February 16th, 2016. So it's been almost a year since I created this document. And I've just been kind of sitting on it because it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. I wasn't ready. I didn't know how to think about it. So if this lesson comes across as convoluted or unclear or whatever, just know it wasn't for lack of trying. I've been sitting on it for like a year. Um, But with that said, um, I also want to say this. I really appreciate um, how everybody's been involved in the group lately and the work here. Um, I mean, I think the ladies' Saturday thing was a good demonstration of um, focus and vision and effort. So I appreciate that a lot. I also appreciate... um, the men that do a lot of the speaking here. Um, I know that I have a lot more time to take that on than some of you guys, Um, but I really appreciate the dedication that you all have in taking up that mantle and the responsibility of sharing in the teaching of this group. So I just want to say that because the last couple weeks we've been out of town and I didn't have to worry about there's nobody going to be speaking here because you guys are engaged on Saturdays, you're engaged on Sundays, and I just appreciate that. So I wanted to say that as well. Um, But anyway... You know, all of us are different. That's a given, right? But some of us, we struggle with with God because we expect him to come in certain ways. I think we talked a little bit about this, or at least hit at it a little bit in our Matthew 21 discussion about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, right? It seemed like they got it, but they didn't, right? 
Um, they may have expected something of Jesus that wasn't true. They may have expected something that God wasn't going to give them. And I think we can do the same thing. We expect God to come through to us in certain specific ways. For instance, if I'm a, a mathematician, right? I'm going to think like a mathematician. And so what I may do is I may expect God to come to me that way. Right? He's going to relate to me and he's going to come to me and work with me in the way of a mathematician. What I mean by that is I expect God to provide me a major premise. I expect God to provide me maybe with a minor one. And he's going to provide a valid link between those two. And that's how he's going to come to me. Right? He's going to work in my life that way. Or maybe we're more like a lawyer, you know. Um, God is going to give me uh, evidence and he's going to present it to me. And what he's going to do is he's going to convince me beyond a shadow of a doubt that the conclusion that I should come to about him is inescapable. You know, some, some of us want God to come to us that way, right? Like, here's the evidence, here's my argumentation, and now you have an inescapable conclusion, right? There's a bunch of examples of how we are that I could use to illustrate that. I mean, I just use mathematicians and lawyers, but you could also create kind of that idea for an artist. You expect God to come to you in that kind of way. Or you could come as a comedian. You expect God to kind of entertain you and be humorous, and that's how he's going to relate to you and come to you. The reason I, I present that is because we all have our ways. We all have our kind of... Uh, expectations for how God should should come to me, right? The problem with that is that's not necessarily what's going to happen. And so I want to uh, talk about a little bit uh, kind of this in terms of the gap, right? Like get, God doesn't always come to us in ways we expect. He doesn't always work with us in ways that we want. He doesn't always move in ways we um, can see. Right? These are kind of hitting at some of these gaps we're going to talk about. And so the side of the predicament that we find ourselves often in is we don't understand God. He feels distant. We don't really relate to him. We can't feel him. He's not near all these sorts of things that kind of be, become outworkings of those. Right. And so how do we deal with this? How do we need to think about it? Um, I, and that's where I want to start in Matthew 11, verse 17. Um, the first gap that I think we need to acknowledge and be real about um, is that our knowledge doesn't always keep with what's real. Our knowledge isn't always in keeping with reality, right? We may know a thing or suppose we know a thing, but it's not actually in line with what's actually happening, right? I'll give you an example of that. Matthew chapter 11, verse 17. I don't want to read all the context here, but it says this. Jesus is talking about what people said about him, right? We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. That's verse 17. The idea that Jesus is trying to relate is, you know, I've come and I'm not what you expected. I'm not doing what you expected. I'm not reacting the way you expected me to be and to do, right? And the point that I want to make with that is we can do the same thing with God. We can have an expectation. We can have a knowledge, right? Like in Matthew 21 in our Bible class, Hosanna, the son of David. But just a couple of days later, it seems like they didn't really get what they were saying, right? So sometimes we have knowledge. We have things we know. 
but reality is not fitting with that, right? We think we have a grasp of what something is, and reality proves to us it's something different. Just like Jesus often did with the people around him. And so I think uh, this gap between us and God often comes in, right? The reason it exists is because we don't have the knowledge of God. And what I mean by that is we don't have access to every bit of information and reasoning that God has. We don't have perfect or infinite knowledge. We don't have the capacity to think the way God thinks. We don't have the capacity to see what God sees, right? And so what we end up knowing, right, doesn't actually end up being what's real. It doesn't keep with reality. And so that's one of the gaps we can kind of feel between us and God, right? I have a knowledge of a thing, and now that I expected this to play out a certain way, it's actually been something different. Right, Matthew 11. We played a song for you, expecting you to dance, you might say, and you didn't. We played a sad song for you. We expected you to mourn and you didn't, right? That's what it is to have knowledge and it doesn't keep with what's real, right? The second of these gaps that we might experience um, between us and God are when we have hope and we end up disappointed. We've placed hope somewhere for whatever reason and it ends up disappointing us in some capacity, right? And what I can kind of elaborate on this as meaning is um, where we place or we find meaning, it's not ends up being not as important as we thought it was. Doesn't that happen to us sometimes too? Not only do we have what we think is real and reality proves otherwise, we have knowledge that we think is real and reality proves otherwise, we put hope in places that we end up finding out wasn't really where hope was supposed to be. We end up being disappointed, right? And that can be because we have knowledge that doesn't keep with reality. That could be kind of a result of that. But it can also be other things. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Um, this is also in, this is in the book of Job, so it's a long way from Matthew 11. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Uh, Job chapter 3. I'm just going to read just a couple verses to illustrate this point. Of course, um, Job's plight uh, was one of the more severe ones, I think, in the Bible. Having Satan specifically attack him for being a believer in God and taking away almost everything good in his life, right? And as that is beginning to happen, as Job is like reeling from the loss of all of those things in Job chapter 3, this is what he says in verse 11. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? And you could go on and continue to read kind of his mourning there. You know, Job probably had a lot of hopes for his life, you know? Like, he had a good family. He seemed like he was pretty wealthy. He seemed like a godly man. Like, he had a lot of reason for hope, right? But what happens when his hopes are, like, dashed with disappointment, right? They turn into places of sorrow instead of places of joy. You know? That seems to be one of the gaps we struggle with, right? Not only does do the things that we think we know not often keep with what's real, the things that we think are hopeful, that we have joy in, often end up disappointing us. 
Um, I think that's a very real thing that we experience. And the gap comes in because we don't understand always the purposes of God. Right? We put hope in a thing because we've maybe misunderstood or not been able to see the purpose of a thing or to know the purpose of a thing. Sometimes that becomes comes because we aren't paying attention. We're not listening. But other times it comes because God doesn't tell us. Right? And there's a gap there because we don't know God's mind to know his purposes always. Right? Just like with the first gap where our knowledge didn't keep with reality and that's because we didn't have the infinite knowledge of God, this time we don't always know the exact purposes of God. Right? And it's a gap. It's, a, it's an area that we feel a distance in. Right? And the third one that I would, I'm going to acknowledge this morning, um, the third gap is when we don't notice God's working. And what I mean by that is um, when God's movements are unexpected or, or strange. Right? Let me elaborate on that a little bit further. Acts 17 helps us uh, kind of understand what, I'm, what I mean by this. Acts chapter 17, Paul's talking in uh, uh, Athens there. In verse 26 and 27, he says this, From one man he, God, made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. There's a lot to be said about this passage, but one of the main points that I want to make about it as it relates to this third gap and not understanding the movement of God is Paul seems to be saying that for a long time people have thought God was far off. He was distant, and they had to do a lot of work to find him. In fact, this conversation comes on the heels of seeing a statue to the God that they don't know, right? And the point that Paul's trying to make is actually he's been moving and working this whole time so that he could be near, right? And so we often experience this third gap that like, though maybe perhaps we're looking for God's work and moving, we don't always see it, right? And so sometimes we have a knowledge or something that we think we know. And God shows us that reality is something different. And we feel that gap between us and God. Sometimes we think we are supposed to be hopeful or place joy in a situation. But we end up being disappointed because we didn't really know the purpose of God in that moment. Right? We feel that gap. And then other times we're looking for God and we're thinking he's going to move and act in our lives in certain ways. And miss where he's actually moving and acting right? Completely. And we feel that gap, right? Where this often leads, um, leads us is despair, frustration. Um, we feel like God is not relatable. We feel like God doesn't care. Perhaps we get annoyed with God because we say, why can't he be like a mathematician and come to me the way I expect him to come and come and the method that I expect him to come, come when I expect him to come. Work in my life in obvious ways, ways that I can see and measure, right? And those are all frustrations that we feel because we have these gaps. There's just differences between us and God, okay? 
And the reason I wanted to talk about this morning, this this morning specifically, is because I think maybe this has been a little more tangible in the lives of myself and Kirby, but also some of you guys recently. Maybe you didn't think about it exactly this way, and that's fine. I don't think this is the only way you can think about it. But like some of us, um, I know Elsie's not here this morning, um, so she's a big part of why I was thinking about this, but some of us have experienced some pretty tragic things recently. Um, I know Angela's lost a couple family members recently, and that's been really hard. Um, Elsie lost her son in a, in a car accident, and that, I mean, is a very difficult situation. Um, and I know there's probably more going on with you guys that I don't know about that have probably been challenges to you recently. And in those times, aren't these gaps magnified? Like, don't we feel like, man, like, I don't really know what's going on. Or man, like, I'm disappointed in a thing that I didn't expect to be disappointed in. And like, I'm feeling something I wasn't expecting to feel, and I don't get that. I don't get why this happened. What is, what is your purpose, God? Right? Or maybe you feel like, man, I don't see it. I expected God to be working this way in my family and in my life, and it seems to be going a completely different direction, and I don't get the methods of God. Okay? So I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think I came back to this lesson because I've been chewing on that and been thinking about you guys and about my life and Kirby's life, and these are the moments that we need to acknowledge these gaps. And I don't think it's bad for us to feel these. In fact, I, Josh was asking for the scripture reading earlier, and I pointed him to this text, and that is where I want to end up going here in a moment. But I think as we're looking ahead to this text, we'll get some answers as far as how to bridge these gaps. But what I want to say right now is we need to acknowledge the gaps. There are things we do not know, even though we feel like we might. There are things, there are purposes we don't understand that God has that we think maybe are different. And there are methods God is going to use that we cannot anticipate or understand. That's just how it is. So the question for us is, do we become frustrated? Do we fall away? Do we uh, curse God and die, as Job later says? Or do we keep the faith? And do we sort through this? And do we think about who God is and the difference between us and him and why he's God and all of these other things? Um, I think uh, I want to talk about this for a moment. The reasons for the gaps, um, these, these distances, these spans that we don't understand, we don't get, we can't see, are because we are finite. Like God is infinite and we have finitude, right? Like We have an end, we are measurable, and God isn't. And in no way can God be measured, really, right? Like he makes it He makes it so that we can begin to think about him, but we'll never really get it, right? We're never going to really be able to measure, as Romans 8 says, the height, the breadth, the depth, the length, the width. And then that text says of the love of God, right? But we can't do any of that measuring about any facet of God, right? And we're finite. It's impossible for us to comprehend what is unmeasurable, I think that's why space is so fascinating for so many people because it seems unmeasurable, right? But it's something that we can sort of experience tangibly. So we're fascinated with that, right? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, 
recognize kind of this reality. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think the point of that is not about God saying, I'm better than you. If you actually read Isaiah 55, he's actually like being very helpful in that text. But his point is exactly this. You're finite, and I'm infinite. And so there's going to be a gap there. You're never going to totally understand my ways because they're higher and bigger and better, right? So one part of the reason why we have these gaps are because we're finite and God is infinite. Another reason we have these gaps is because we have a propensity to believe certain things. We have biases and we have prejudices. I may be inclined to believe certain things because I think like a mathematician, or I may be inclined to believe or think certain things because I think like an artist, right? And so when we come to God in ourselves and in our personalities, we're inclined to go certain ways, right? Whether it's true or not. And so it's impossible for us to be totally unbiased in how we approach God. It just is. Um, And so that can create in us these gaps again, right? I think I know a thing because I think a certain way, and the reality is very different, right? And so that can exaggerate these gaps that we feel with God. They can heighten them, and they can exaggerate them. And then lastly, uh, a more spiritual reason for these gaps um, is because because of the power of deception that we face in Satan. I think Satan likes to use these gaps, doesn't he? Like he likes to say, you know what, you're not God and he's distant and far away and you can't really get him. And So does he really care about you? Right? That's what he threw at Job. Does he really care about you if, he takes, if God takes away all your stuff, if I take away all your stuff, is Job really going to care about you, God? Job, are you going to care about God? Right? Um, you know, Satan may say something like, Josh tends to to skew this way in his thinking. So I'm going to throw things in that vicinity that can get him off course, right? I think Satan uses these gaps. I think he uses our propensity to believe certain things. I think he uses the fact that we think we know something when reality is different. I think he wants us to look in certain avenues for God's movement. Meanwhile, God's moving over here and discourages us because we don't see it. And so... Yes, we are finite and God is infinite. Yes, we do have a a prejudice or propensity to believe certain things. But also Satan is using his deception to highlight those. Genesis chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. The serpent said to the woman, serpent being Satan, right? And the woman being Eve. You surely will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Do you think... Eve wanted to believe that was true? You think she had a propensity to believe that Satan was right? And Satan used it. He deceived her because of her bias. She wanted that to be true, right? Do you think Eve perhaps maybe even was inclined to think that that was true? Like she thought that's true when reality was something different? Do you think she suspected that the movements and the methods of God wouldn't be what they ended up being when she ate this fruit. 
Like maybe God wouldn't be that upset about it. Maybe he would do one thing in response to this that wasn't what ended up happening. All of these are questions that we can ask and maybe we don't totally know the answers to them, but we can see how easily that factors into maybe Eve's thinking. Do I listen to the deception that Satan is throwing my way or do I not? Because I'm inclined to want to believe this because I'm inclined to think that this is true, right? So all of this to say that we have gaps. There are very obvious reasons why these gaps exist, like our finitude, our propensity to believe things, and the power of deception that we face. But I think there is a bridge. I don't want to just say like, man, this stinks that we have this, and we're kind of in over our heads, and let's just call it a day. Um, I think there is a bridge, and that's where Second Samuel chapter 12 comes in. So if you want to turn there with me, I will read some of this text. Um, some of this, I'm going to be honest with you guys, is me reading between the lines. But I think when I explain what I'm reading between the lines, hopefully you'll think that it's fair that I'm saying this because we've had experiences similar to this. Um, but David is in a situation where he slept with Bathsheba, and everything he had to do to even get to the point of sleeping with Bathsheba was just terrible in the first place. He had to like steal a wife, kill the guy, do all this lying, not being in the battles that he should have been in. I mean, all this stuff just to get to that point. He sleeps with a woman who he takes as his wife. Um, and God needs him to realize that he sinned. Like, this is not good. And that's where we kind of pick up because Nathan the prophet is sent by God to David. And in verse 14, sorry, 13, he says, You've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, uh, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's the good news, right? David's life is not forfeit. Nevertheless, by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house. I imagine, I, I'm not a parent, um, but I imagine in a lot of ways David thought this might be worse than dying. To have his unborn child, or to have his child die. Let me say it that way. Uh, I don't know what all goes into the feelings here. I think this is probably a complicated scene that I can't totally appreciate. Um, but as the story unfolds, it says that the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore. I think that's an interesting commentary. But Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And there, therefore, David sought God on behalf of the child. David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him and raised him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. Uh, and the servants of God were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't listen to us. How then can we say to him the child is dead? He may do himself harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Uh, when we experience the difficult realities of a broken life, and what I mean by that is where sin exists and breaks things and hurts things and we make choices that are bad, people around us make choices that are harmful, ungodly, um, those gaps that we've been talking about seem to get bigger. You know, it's those moments where we really feel those gaps, right? 
we really feel like I don't even know what's real. I really don't know what God is doing here, like what purpose he has. I really don't understand how he's going to work through this, right? I can't imagine a scenario, many scenarios that would be worse than this one, being directly responsible for the death of your child. Like that just seems to be a terrible thing um, that I can't relate to in a lot of ways. Don't you think it's a very real possibility that David like goes into some despair here that he never pulls out of? Like ever. And I mean that like physically, like they say maybe he's going to do himself some harm. But also spiritually, like maybe he just never comes back from this. God is evil and wicked for doing this to him and he's never going to pay attention to God again. I think that's a very real possibility. Like if you've never read past this point, you're thinking that could happen here. Like, this is the kind of event that sends somebody over the edge, right? And don't you feel that, like, it's a very reasonable thing to think that David is questioning God's purposes right now? How would you kill a child? Like, how is this beneficial? Why didn't you punish me? The baby's not responsible. All these big questions that I don't have answers for, frankly. Don't you think he thought God might do one thing when God did another, maybe? Don't you suspect that God or David is questioning the Lord's chosen avenue of action? Like, why did he do this? He sent Nathan to me, and I thought it was going to go this way. He zigged where I thought he was going to zag, right? I suspect a lot of those things. I can't say from the text that any of that necessarily happened. I think it's reasonable since David was a human that he would have felt a lot of things like that. But look at what happens after verse 20. Or in verse 20, sorry. Then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself. He changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And he then went into his own house, and when asked, he, or when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, Well, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not go to me, return to me. You know, David thought he knew a thing when reality was different, right? Verse 22, maybe God will be gracious and spare my son. Seemed like a possibility that maybe... He would do that, and God did something else. It seems like David had a lot of uncertainty about what he knew. David believed his sin was private. You know, obviously that's evident throughout this whole story. There was an aspect where he thought it was private, nobody knew, and really, like all that mattered was his family. The way he acts kind of shows that. But did you notice verse fourteen? Some translations, instead of saying, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, um, it says something like you have blasphemed the Lord or you have made the Lord a blasphemy among the nations or something like that. Um, You know, I think that's an interesting thing because our second gap was like he had a hope of his family and being with this woman and it ended up being a disappointment, right? And finally, I think the third gap is illustrated even when David uh, 
wonders upon you know probably is wondering why his son had to die right verse 22 illustrates that maybe god would be gracious to me and let my son live um and so he doesn't really understand the movements or the actions of the lord he didn't really anticipate them um again i think some of that's reading between the lines and making assumptions about people that i'm placing on david but i think the main point is how david deals with all of this Uh, i think it's helpful and encouraging and interesting to see that despite the gaps David probably was feeling between him and God, his solution, his bridge over those gaps is to worship God. Um, And I don't know of a better way to deal with these than that. I don't know a more practical way to deal with these than that. Um, And what I mean by this is the gaps that we've been talking about between us and God highlight him being God and us being people. Like, I'm finite, he's infinite. Right? He has knowledge that I don't. He has purposes that I can't see or even fathom. And he moves in ways that are unexpected. And uh, higher, Isaiah 55 says. Right? I think the appropriate biblical response to experiencing these gaps in a very spiritual and emotional way is to do what David did. Not let them drive us to despair, not let them fuel a questioning of who God is because we've known who he is. We knew he was God. We know he's infinite. We know his ways are higher than us. And so when that's highlighted, we get frustrated by that. We get annoyed by that. I think that's fair because we're people. But really, shouldn't that drive us to appreciate his, and I hope you know what I mean by this, his godliness, the fact that he is God? Shouldn't that highlight those things for us? And whenever we acknowledge God is God in the Bible, that should lead us to do what? To worship. And so in a moment of despair, when the gaps are the biggest, they loom the largest, David naturally and rightfully is moved to worship. God is who he said he is. His ways are higher than mine. I didn't know what was going to happen, and while I'm sad about it, like that just proves to me God is God. Right? He's doing what he's always done, and that's astounding me and doing things I didn't expect. Sometimes that I can appreciate, like I didn't have to die. And sometimes doing things that I don't love so much, and that's my son died. Right? But God is God. He's infinite. His purposes are not always clear to me, and his methods are not always understandable. So I wish, you know, in some capacities, I wish that I had a more, like, like, compromised answer that kind of meets us halfway, like, allows us to be more, like, I don't know, I guess it's rebellious or frustrated or whatever, like, because that's what I want to be in those moments sometimes. But I think the Bible is just saying, like, David did what was right here. He worshiped God because he acknowledged God was doing stuff that was just beyond him. So I think that has to be our response. So those of us who have experienced tragedy in our families recently, like, I hope that that's moved you to worship God more. Because you don't get it. You don't see why. You don't know what's going on. For those of us who haven't experienced those, like, faith-shaking, earth-rattling challenges, they're coming. They're going to happen. 
people don't live forever, so people that you love are going to die. They're going to be hurt. Uh, you're going to have to watch that happen to them. You're going to have to watch your friends and family maybe go through times of temptation and struggle. You may even have friends and family that fall away from their faith. Uh, things like that are going to hurt. There's no way around it. And so the question is, are you going to respond by falling away yourself, by blaming God, by being frustrated that you don't understand what's going on? Or are you going to acknowledge like, hey, I've known this all along. God knows what he's doing, and I've trusted that up to this point, so why would that change? And would you worship him in those moments? The gap is in him, or is not in him, it's in us. I think that's important to realize. I want to read you a quote. Uh, I, th- I wasn't even looking for this. I stumbled upon it, and I thought, hey, that fits. Um, it's actually from uh, American history, so it's kind of lame, but I'll read it to you anyway. Uh, so uh, Sarah Edwards, uh, some of this will be explained in the quote, but she was um, married to Jonathan Edwards, who ended up being the president of Princeton for like a very short amount of time. Pretty notable American. Anyway, this is the quote. Sarah Edwards received word that her husband Jonathan had died at the age of 54 from a smallpox inoculation one month after becoming the president of Princeton College in 1758. She picked up her pen and wrote to her daughter Esther, whose husband Aaron Burr, some of you may recognize that name, had died six months earlier. My, this is the quote. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a, cloud, a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness. That we had had your father so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy, my husband, and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am and love to be. Your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. I would hope that in times of trial, we would respond like Sarah Edwards responded. That uh, we would not see challenge as being uh, a curse from the Lord, but rather the proof that he is sovereign, he is infinite, and that he is good to us. And we are right where we need to be, worshiping God. So hopefully this lesson has been helpful for you and you can understand what I was trying to get across in my finitude. So if there's anyone this morning or this afternoon that uh, sees some lack in their life and their faith, uh, we would encourage you to reach out to the person next to you or to me or whoever because everybody here wants to try to do what's best spiritually for the other people in this room. And so this is the best group to make a need known. So if there's a need, why don't you come while we sing?